The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today, we conclude our study of the book of Job. We've looked at several themes throughout our study of this book. Patience, pride, and pity have been the main themes. And in chapter 42, we add repentance to the mix. After his encounter with God, Job repents, and that repentance was pleasing to God. The latter end of Job was one of great blessings that abounded for the rest of his life. You may recall in James chapter 5 and verse 11 that God, through his inspired writer, sums up the case of Job as follows. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. While there are many lessons in the book of Job, dear listener, if you miss the primary lesson, you've missed the point. God is pitiful and of tender mercy. Thank you for joining us for this series, and may we all be encouraged by the example of Job and the mercies of God that we see in his life. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Oh, my God,
So what happens in suffering? Let me just take just a moment and look at that. Um, over in Romans chapter 5, it's probably one of my favorite places to, to look at when it comes to this topic because I believe it teaches us how we're to react and what will happen when we react to suffering and trials in the right way. Notice in chapter 5 and verse 3, he said, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Well, how in the world are we going to glory in tribulation? We're not glorying about the tribulation, but while we're in the midst of the tribulation, we can glory because notice what it does. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. I think it's so important to see the very first prong of our experience in tribulation is a test of patience. It's a test of patience. And patience, again, is keeping on, keeping on. It's not sitting back and waiting, you know. It's keeping on, keeping on. And, and let me just say that if we don't endure the tribulation with patience, we might as well stop right here. That's as far as it'll ever go. If we go crazy and we lose our minds every time we experience tribulation, oh, woe is me, oh, what's the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, then, then we might as well just stop here because the rest of it's not going to do us any good. See, by the way, the world says, well, don't pray for patience. The Lord will send you tribulation. That is absolutely not true. <laughs> He's not talking about, well, I'm going to send this person tribulation so they can become patient. You already have patience. It's like a muscle. You don't go work out to get a muscle. You go work out because you already got a muscle that you need to make stronger. When we're born again, we have patience. We have long-suffering. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? But here's what happens when we exercise that muscle of patience properly. Tribulation worketh patience. It works it out, and you get stronger. And patience, look at what it leads to. Patience, experience. So the day, the times when you don't react right to tribulation, you're not going to get the experience. If you go crazy and lose your mind every time tribulation comes and completely go, uh, uh, go hibernate somewhere and say, I just can't handle them. This, this is, I can't believe this is happening to me. Well, why not? <laughs> Jesus said you will have tribulation. In this world, you shall have tribulation. But when we, when we have tribulation and we react in patience, we exercise that patience, that means we're going to endure it in the right way. And notice that patience works experience. It means, okay, we've been through it now. I can look back to times in my life where I didn't react in the right way, but I can look back to some where I did. I kept patience. I kept on keeping on. I didn't just quit and go crazy. I kept on keeping on. That experience now delivers something else to me. And experience hope. Hope. See, now the hope is this. You're not going to get away. You're not going to get out of this world with no more tribulation. As long as your heart is beating, you're going to have some kind of tribulation. Okay? It may be financial. It may be health-wise. It may be family issues. It may be church issues or whatever it may be. But you're going to have some trouble. But now that you have reacted in patience, you have endured with patience and exercised that muscle of patience, you have the experience that God delivered you. Okay? And now you, when the tribulation comes again, you got hope. You got hope that God's going to do it again. So if I 
rely upon my experience having acted patiently in tribulation, then I have hope that if I do it again, God will deliver me again. Now, I'm not saying he'll get rid of all your troubles and he'll fix all your problems. That's not what I'm talking about. He'll never, all your problems will never be fixed here. But the point is he will be with you through the tribulation. And notice then what happens, and hope maketh not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the times when I endured tribulation with patience. I look back on that experience, and I'm thankful, and I'm so uh, proud is not the word, but I'm, I'm thankful that I endured that in the right way. But I'm ashamed of sometimes when I've completely lost my mind over tribulations. You know, things that I could point you to that I'm not even going to confess to up here. You know, my dear wife is the one that knows me the best, and she knows how down and out I can get. I can be flying high up here. All I, everything's going great. Everybody loves my preaching. Everybody's telling me what a great preacher I am. And, I, and one preacher or one congregation member somewhere where I'm preaching can say, well, you know you're wrong about that. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm... I'm all the way down. Woe is me. I'm just a terrible preacher. You know, I'm just a terrible human. Whatever it may be, wherever it may, may, may rise. But see, when I endure that patiently, I am not ashamed. And that's what's happened here, happening to Job, I should say. I'm not sure Job endured with complete patience. In fact, I know he didn't. But there was some patience there. He did rely upon the Lord. He did not curse God and die. He did not curse God and die, as even his wife admonished him to. So now Job has experience of having Job's experience. And you think about that. Whenever we get into trouble, what do we think about? Well, Job got through it, so I can get through it. Mine's not as bad as Job's. Well, Job's was as bad as Job's experience. <laughs> Job's experience was as bad as Job's experience. You know, we always say our experience wasn't as bad as Job's experience, but Job was the experience that we measure all other experiences by. And he got through it <laughs> in patience. I don't know what else he experienced in his life, but it wasn't an easy ride. He lived 140 more years. And it wasn't easy. He didn't have 140 years of ease and comfort. Never experienced that we know of anything as bad as this. But Job could look back and say, I made it. The Lord delivered me. And he taught me some lessons. You see, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I've decided I'm a pretty good old guy and I'm going to be able to hold on. I'm going to be able to pray through. I'm going to be able to outrun the devil for the rest of my life. And is that what it says? No. No. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. <laughs> Job's patience worked repentance. And repentance worked revival in his life. You know, we're revival. Someone asked me recently, where, how, you know, how are we ever going to get revival in this part of the country? He wasn't primitive Baptist, but how are we going to get revival? Well, the first thing we have to have is repentance for there to be revival. 
Josiah the king was living in a wicked time. His daddy and his granddaddy were terribly wicked kings. But Hilkiah, the high priest, found the book of the law and read it to him. You know where revival begins? It begins in the Word of God. It begins in reading the Word of God and knowing what it says and repenting as Ezra did, repenting as Josiah did. And this repentance here worked revival in this life. Notice what's happened. He's gone from despising what he believed God was doing to him to despising himself for believing that. He said, I abhor myself. Have you ever falsely accused God of being unjust? I mean, I have. I I admit it. I'm sorry to admit it, but I have. That old human side of me rises up in me and says, God, why are you allowing this? Why are you doing this? But when I think about it and I come to my senses, my spiritual senses, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, Job had been informed about God. His friends had been informed about God. Elihu had been informed about God, but now Job has been transformed by his experience with God. He's gone from hearing about God with major gaps in his knowledge of him to experiencing God in a way he never would have apart from the suffering. That's Job's final response. That's Job's ultimate answer. That should be our answer. Whenever we come to the point where we're in the midst of the crucible of suffering, when we get to the end of it, or even in the midst of it, we should always remember that he is God and we are not. And the beauty of the sufferings that God suffers to come upon us, and that's the best way I know to put it, Brother Buddy, is not that he brings them upon us. I realize God brings chastening sometimes, but generally speaking, what happens to us in this life is a result of the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world and we have a great enemy, Satan, out there. That's exactly what happened to Job. It wasn't God stirring up some kind of evil against Job. It wasn't God stirring up some kind of vendetta against Job. God was proud of Job. God was, uh, in a sense, defending Job because Satan had come along and said, God, he is a paid lover. He loves you because of what you get out of him. He said, well, I'm just going to remove the hedge to a certain extent, and we'll see. And now we see that God comes on the scene after Job has all the, all the extras have been peeled away and Job has seen God as he is and has repented in dust and ashes. And notice the latter end of Job. It was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. They were wrong in the things that they accused God of. Even Job, Job was more right, but we've seen that even Job was wrong because God called him to account too. So now notice what he said. Therefore, take you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly. Let me just stop here and say this. It's important that we pray for one another. You know, there's times when your prayers spare me trouble. Many times. There's times when I'm at a place where I, God won't hear me in the sense of he won't 
acknowledge my prayers and answer them in the way that, uh, that I'm asking them to, to, to be. Most of the time I'm asking for the wrong thing, the wrong purpose of asking for the wrong things. But I need your prayers. As that song says, I need the prayers of those I love. But here's Job is praying in an intercessory way for his friends in that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. And we see in verses nine, verse 9 here that Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad and Zophar, they all did according as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord also accepted Job. In other words, God was pleased with Job's repentance. God was pleased with it. And now notice his timely blessings upon Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. You know... Job ended up with twice as much as he had before. But don't forget that he still lost all he had before that. And I don't care how many, you know, we're told that he's blessed with ten more children, seven more sons and three daughters. He lost ten children. And God blessed him with ten more in his older age here. Ultimately, Notice as we continue reading. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. I'll come back to that in a moment. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. Now, let me just say that about that statement that about all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Okay. First of all, the word evil there is the word for calamities, the word for uh, disasters, and that's what had come upon Job. Secondly, only in the sense that the Lord lowered the hedge could he be said to have brought it upon him, but I believe what that's really talking about there is the, that's what the people thought had happened to Job. Job now knows better. We know better because Satan is the one that brought it upon him. But be that as it may, as we continue to bring this to a close, verse 12, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And he goes on to talk about the 14,000 sheep and the camels and the oxen and the, uh, the she-asses there. And he said the seven sons and three daughters and he names the daughters. And it tells us in verse 15, In all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. He he treated them just like he did the sons. And, and then notice in verse 16, After this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. God blessed him in a timely way after this, even through the midst of all of his troubles. You know, we get to the point sometimes where we think it's all over, right? We get to the point where we think, you remember Elijah? He got out there under the juniper tree, and he said, Lord, it's time for me to die. He was suicidal. He was ready to take his own life. He was wanting to die. We get there sometimes. Job had said, I wish I'd never been born. But the truth of the matter is, even though there was much tragedy and trouble in his life, the best days were yet to come for him. Elijah had the biggest work of his ministry ahead of him. He had to anoint two kings and anoint his successor, and by the way, he never even died. He got to go home without going through the portals of death. He got to go to heaven, okay? 140 years. Now, we're told that God gave him double. I don't know if that means he was 70 when all this happened. 
and then he gave him twice as many years, 140 years later. That sort of makes sense, but whatever it was, Job was old enough to have already had 10 children. But now God gives him 140 more years. And I think you would be able to say, Job would be able to say at the end of his life, these were the best years of my life. He never, now listen, you can't replace a lost loved one. It's not like, well, okay, I had 10 children, but now I got 10 more. <laughs> it's okay. He always missed them. It was always a struggle for him. But, but I believe the encounter with God probably made quite a difference in the hope he had because now he's seen that all his faith is true. There really is God, and there really is a God that, takes, that loves me and ultimately had pity upon me. Now notice here, though, this is what I want to get to Verse 17, I believe, is the greatest blessing of Job's entire life. So, so Job died being old and full of days. We don't ever need to lose sight of the fact, child of God, that no matter what kind of trouble we face in life, the best day of our lives is the day we die. For a child of God, there is no better day in their existence than the day they die. Because you see, that puts us not just in the hope of eternal life, but in possession of it. I know we're, we, we possess it, but I'm talking about it's no longer a hope, it's sight. We see it. So let's wrap up the book of Job right quick. I wasn't sure we'd get here tonight, but let's do it. Was the greatest blessing of Job's latter end, the doubled wealth, the increased or second family that he had? I don't believe at all that was the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing of Job's latter end was his restored fellowship with God. See, the, the point of Job is not that all, things always work out in the end for us in this life. It's not that, oh, well, just hang on. I know you've lost a lot here and you're suffering now, but things are going to get doubly better down the road. That may not happen for you. It doesn't happen in most cases. In most cases, things don't necessarily get better in this life. But you see, the things that always work out in the end for us are those things that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 when he says all things work together for good. It's not the things that are going on here in this life. The things that work together for good are these things. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We have that to look forward to. The day we die, David said, I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. He said there'll be a time when he, he will his, uh, his life will end and he will fly away. That's the greatest blessing of our life and that's the hope that will carry us through the troubles of this life. Why do we suffer these things? Well we know it's because we live in a sin cursed world. Why does God suffer things to come upon us like this? Many reasons, some known only to himself, but ultimately all the sufferings of this life for a child of God should point us back to God himself. And this kind of leads us back to the themes here. Patience, the patience of Job. You remember James 5.11? Let's just turn over there and read it as we bring this to a close. 
I believe the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. What is it that we should get out of Job? Is it that God is arbitrary? God is harsh? God's playing around with our lives? No. James 5.11, in the midst of a discussion about suffering and trials and patience, he said, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. What is the end of the Lord? That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The patience of Job, the pride of Job that, that he needed burned away and that was burned away in the crucible of suffering, but ultimately the pity of God that led Job to repentance. You remember, as I said, the original accusation was that the only reason Job was serving God was that he was getting blessed by God. In other words, he loved and trusted God and lived a righteous life only because he was prospering. Take away all he has, Lord, and he'll curse you to your face. But notice that Job never cursed God. He questioned God, but he never cursed him. And ultimately, that's where we need to be. Because you see, another, another final point about Job is, as we've said many times, we're not God, and we don't know what all's going on. We can't see the whole picture. Job didn't know Satan was involved in this. Job didn't see this encounter between God and Satan. Job didn't know what was coming, but God did, you see. And no matter what the story of your life is to this point in your life, it is God who always writes the final chapter. And that's why when we get to that point of despair and we think it's no point in moving on or going forward, we never have the right to take that into our own hands because we don't know what God has in store for us. Paul said this, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, he said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He said the ups and downs of life, just, I, I'm instructed to endure them. Why? Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Job was able to endure because he had a great hope that you and I have that is both sure and steadfast and an anchor of the soul. I imagine if we could talk to Job at the end of his life, we could say, Job, what one thing got you through it all? He'd probably repeat the thing that he said he wanted graven in the rock. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth and yea, though the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh will I see God. The patience of Job, the pride that was burned away, the pity of God and the repentance that God accepted. Those are the main lessons of Job and we need to take them with us through our lives. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. 
If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.